0: are listening to Hebrew Nation Radio, and we are on the air this morning on the Wednesday Morning Program. Our faith is in total focus. We have a wonderful uh, co- uh, guest today, and my wonderful co-host, Miriam Stallsworth, and myself, Dr. Deb Gold, and of course, uh, Dr. Dina Die. and we have been discussing the kingdom of God, how it could, how Matthew is a mirror reflection of the establishment of the King in Genesis, and she is has been talking about the temple conference that uh, she shared a lot of this information. And so, if you are listening out there. I would, uh, you know, go grab a pen and a pencil as well as your cup of coffee and uh, be prepared to take a lot of notes. I find this is a fascinating topic. And so Dina and Miriam, welcome back after our break. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah. And so I can't wait to hear a little bit more about this. Um, And you were just in the middle of a thought when we went away to our break.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I had a senior moment. So that thought is completely gone. Oh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My husband will ask me to do something and I go, sure, sure. And like in 30 seconds, I've totally forgotten what he told me to do. So I don't know about you, but uh, (laughs) with each passing year, I seem to remember less and less in the practical realm and uh, but somehow I seem to remember stuff, you know, the, from the Bible, but I can't remember where my keys are or anything. so <laughs> I was, like, asked to find a professor, I don't know. Uh, I just want to mention, you know, I want to encourage your, you know, viewers, listeners, uh, you know, the, the temple conference is very unique. Uh, there really isn't anything like it that I know of on the planet, and it's a really oppor- an opportunity to immerse yourself in that world, and our goal is to help you make sense of the Bible because what I tell people where I go let's be real there's a lot in the Bible that makes absolutely no sense okay and we've because it makes no sense then we take it and we we uh, filter it through our modern world and then we can really end up you know off the rails mm-hmm. so I've I really try to encourage people to go back and at least attempt to start reading about that, that ancient world, because that is the world in which the Bible was written. And yeah. so if we can kind of grab a hold of that, because everything that was natural in the ancient world uh, had, had meaning to them. So, you know, mountains and trees and flowers and gardens and stuff. It, not in the way that we see it, but those were very important. I mean, when they looked out, that's what they saw. And so they would describe things in that way, you know, heaven and earth. We look at everything from a scientific point of view. And this is, I think, one of the reasons we get into so many controversies and arguments, because if the ancients are looking at their world uh in a more sort of creative way, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Right. And we're looking at our world in a very scientific way. Those things don't really connect. And right. so then we have two camps, and then the camps are just kind of arguing with one another. Or, And I would maintain that the Bible is really not addressing science and material origins per se now. you know, There are definitely many who would argue with me, and that's okay. But I think that the the focus of the Bible is the line of the kings, starting with the first king that God raised up to rule and reign over the earth. You know, Adam, Adam, you know, can be a real person that can represent humanity as an archetype, whatever. But it's the idea of kingship, of humanity being raised up to rule over itself or the idea of self-governance, if you will. And so we, we see the line from Adam to second Adam and everything, you know, through all the chapters of the Bible, we are seeing uh, the, the the dynasty of the kingship from, from Adam on down, which, of course, is what we have listed here in Matthew chapter one. So I think that's a very important point. And again, I would encourage your, your listeners to think about attending a conference. We also had uh, two guys show up from the UK and... Sweden they're young guys and they had they formed uh, what they're trying to do is virtual reality of what What the people call the third temple or Ezekiel's temple? Mm -hmm. And so they came to see kind of what who we were and what we were doing. I think they were kind of blown away By you know exactly what we uh, how you know how we were approaching this. So that was a really fun connection I um, uh, the one guy Richard was from the UK uh, he was a very charismatic young man and really excited about the temple. So we connected, and he's he's down the road going to be doing some podcasts, so he in, invited me on his show as well. So uh, that was cool. We had a great group of people. Um, they were just outstanding. The The group just sort of, you know, meshed really well, and everybody was just on board and really— it was an outstanding week, I have to say. I came home just jazzed.
2: Right. Well, you know, everyone that's going there is is knows right away this is a study, and and I think they are they're they're interested in this because otherwise they wouldn't take the time the the money to do that. And I think that's what's wonderful because you've got people who are really interested in in doing this, Dina. And yeah. And and you know desiring this, so it's not just some of that comes in there and is going to go for a couple hours and got enough. I mean, these people are serious, and that's a wonderful thing because you have students there that are really wanting to know. Amen. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing:
1: as a teacher, I, I mean, I simply can't go everywhere, right? And so if we right. have leaders that come in, and I can impart to them. And right. I know that they can just take the material and, and and take it out to their communities and their congregations and stuff. I mean, this is how it will spread, because it's simply not humanly possible, you know, for us to, to go everywhere. Uh, right. One of the things I'm, you know, I'm, I am still working on my third book, if anyone's asking, mm-hmm. <laughs> The Temple Revealed and Noah's Ark, which, uh, before I go off, think about the ark. That was, in the ancient world, a classic picture of a mountain. And so Noah is building, if you will, you know, a, a kind of a portable mountain uh, mm-hmm. upon which, you know, it, it was represented the temple or the presence of God. So I'm writing the book from that perspective. But the goal is uh, when the book is uh, finished, I'm working on a, uh, a workbook at the same time so that the three books, which will be a series, will all go together and there'll be a workbook with it. So then, you know, congregational leaders can either, you know, do some sort of group study or they can go through it themselves and teach others. So that's kind of the plan. And, and the, the temple conference really allows us to do that. And really, there's no greater environment for a teacher to just go in to a, where people are hungry and excited and getting ministered to and, you know. You're just in it. Like, it's like the best environment ever.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Yes. So, in other words, it's not a conference that's concert style, like a lot of conferences are. It's not about entertaining the people. It's about serious students that want to know and dig deeper into the word.
1: Yes. But we do have fun. So, Friday night is our formal Shabbat, you know. The good wine comes out, and Evanado and I, the the group, this little salsa, oh, so little Brazilian. So
2: good, I love that.
1: <laughs> I know. So, like, we let our hair down, and the uh, yeah. we do Ashrei Nu. You know, that's like the highlight of the weekend. So it's, you know, there's fun to be had as well. We're not all just sitting there for hours on end. We we do have a good time.
0: Yes, yes. I didn't mean to make it sound like, oh, oh no, I don't want to do it there.
2: <laughs> You're yeah. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do have downtime.
1: So no, it it's... was an excellent conference this year. Really, really, really enjoyed it.
2: Wow. Oh, okay, I heard... another thing that go I might go... – might... go... some... who was wanting to say something? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Mary. What I think was so incredible, too, because at this time, like you said – how uh, Joe was such a mentor to you and to Rico and then Rico mentoring Ryan and, and so forth. It just shows how incredible that is because many times Joe was there and Joe couldn't be there. And so how wonderful it just shows how wonderful it is when you teach and then you have others that can carry on. What What a wonderful, wonderful thing that the work keeps going on through you and then you teach others and how younger generation now, they like to see everything visual. And when they see all these things, wow, they learn so fast, but I just commend you. And I commend that how wonderful that is that the delegation and kind of like the protocol, like you said, there is a protocol. And what you listen to and you learn from Joe and what, and even like you said, some of the rabbis are absolutely listening. And in his time, at his tragedy, and where he could not be there, you could carry on. And
1: and that's one of my concerns, too, because let's face it, some of us teachers are, are you know, we're aging, <laughs> to put it kindly. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how long I can. I mean, travel is hard. It's tough. I, I'm, you know, I'm not in my 30s anymore. And so... I'm looking at this, okay, I don't know how many years I got, but I got to pour this into as many young people as I possibly can right. so that they can right. pick up the torch. And, and I'm trying to lay the foundation. That's why I really want to get you know the series done with the workbook. Uh, I was invited to speak at a Hanukkah conference out in North Carolina. And yeah. I was really honored because everyone else that was speaking was young. <laughs> and the <laughs> congregation was young. And the people that were there were young families and so it was a real honor to me, you know, to be invited into that environment. And I'm saying to myself, you know, I don't know how many opportunities there are, but I'm just, I'm going to do my best to begin to impart. And and I can see there's some some younger uh, men and women uh, that the father is raising up that are very excited about the material. There's not a lot, but it, you know, it doesn't take a lot. If the, it, it, It's got to be passed down. This is the whole problem with the, our country Is that we have not passed down to the next generation how the Constitution works and our founding documents and and the the truth of our founding fathers. And you've seen what's the fruit of not passing down this to the next generations is absolute chaos. And the same thing will happen in in the biblical world if we don't pass this information down. We're going to see chaos ensue. And so uh, it's absolutely essential. And isn't that
0: also what God said to Abraham, that the reason he was chosen was because he would pass it down. Um, he was faithful
2: to teach the children. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: So, I mean, yeah, exactly. that's, that is a paramount importance. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you a question, though, because I've heard this before. And I wanted to see, I know how I answer it, but I would lo- love to hear how you answer this question. Uh, Oh, you're going, like when we went on tour recently with Joe Good, and oh, all Joe talks about is the temple, that sounds boring, or, you you know, why are you going on that tour? I, I got that from a couple of people. So, mm-hmm. um, when people say, you know, well, why is the temple so important, and what, how would you answer that?
1: Well, so we are, you know, human concrete people uh, that, you know, (laughs) we live in a real world. We have to do practical concrete things. You have to start there because we're not, if if you cannot start with the abstract, you have to start with the concrete, the structure. I mean, if you're building a house, it's got to be built on rock solid foundation and actual foundation. You know, you, you don't build it on water and on air. And so- the, 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 if the Bible is, in fact, a book that is speaking about the place of the presence of God, the house of God, and what what that looks like and and, and how the children of Israel are supposed to approach, then we're going to have to understand it first from the natural uh, perspective, the the concrete, natural framework. And so what I, and what I shared at the beginning, it, I could not write the stories I write. I could not think about things in a maybe more creative way if I didn't understand them in a practical, natural, concrete way first. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the Bible, um, you know, the Bible is filled with, you know, real people doing real stuff in real places. But the writers are taking that and assuming you kind of get it. And then they're building on that and giving you a different perspective or interpretation of what's going on in the in the real world. See, in the ancient world we didn't have a division between natural and supernatural. Everything in their world was considered quote unquote quote, natural. See, we 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 are a function kind of a dualism in, in which here's the real world, I got to get up, I got to make lunch for my kids, I got to go to work. And then there's this other thing called the supernatural world in which that's where god is and that's where the miracles happen and that's where all the cool stuff is going on and then when god kind of breaks through that world and comes into ours then we see that miracle but they didn't see it that way and so when we look at the the plagues for example and we see we describe that in our minds as sort of a supernatural event of all you know sort of drama coming out from the sky but they didn't see it that way. It, God was in everything, so there was no division. It, it meant He could work through things uh, in, in naturally, or you know, or something what we would call supernatural. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? They just did not have that division. Right. Everything was yeah. natural, and God was working in everything all the time. Right. right. So I go back to if. You know, if the temple is the framework for the Bible, if it's all about the place of the presence of God and how his throne and how he rules and reigns, I think it's a really good idea to understand practically, structurally, archaeologically, what that looks like. And then you can build from there and make application.
0: Does right. that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you go to Israel, like when, because we just got back from a tour with joe and um uh, when you go to israel you do realize how many mountain uh, mountain tops that things happened on and, and you know right. because of you know tell even tell dan where there was false worship there was you know uh, the it was the high places that they always went yeah. to and so right. it is kind of, it's really fascinating when you put everything like you were saying into the perspective of, okay, this is the foundation. Once you get the foundation built, then you can build on top of that and get all the abstract. Exactly. I, I like the way you put that. That's really good. And, it, yeah. you know, because you people just don't understand it, you know, you know what I mean? And. I mean, yeah. I, I've read your books and I know how interesting they are and how interesting you are and how interesting Joe is, you know, but for the average person that might be listening out there, it is fascinating. It gives you concepts and and um, insights that you normally wouldn't be able to glean from just reading, you know, just reading yeah. it as... and that's...
1: I always tell people, I mean, I'm kind of the down the road teacher. I mean, I get that some people have, you know, come up to me and go, I don't know what you're talking about. So, but a few years later, they come up to me and go, I get it. (laughs) So (laughs) I I look at myself kind of as the sort of the pioneer. And then, you know, I just got to wait. I mean, I've had people accuse me of being a heretic and, you know, people shouldn't listen to me and whatever, but Again, if if I tried to bridge the two worlds, the, the practical world, as well as the sort of the, um, the ancient world and then, you know, arrive where we are today. Uh, and if it doesn't connect to where we are today and what we're experiencing, what's the point, you know? So it has to go past this. And so I always try to, to teach it that way.
2: So well, I remember you saying too, which was so good, this is all about temple talk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, if you're forming your own opinions or how you're interpreting or where you see one thing is interpreted and you don't see the meaning of any of this, you like you said, you can go off in 20 different directions of totally something absolutely bizarre or whatever. And it's like you say, did understand that that's that foundation that you have to have an understanding. And if more classes were taught on that to people, but it does take time. It does does. take time. It really
1: does. It's transformational because it's totally outside the box of the last, you know, for sure, three to four hundred years, but even almost the last two thousand. So one of the projects I'm working on and the many projects I'm working on is you know the whole thing. What did what did Jesus do? Do you remember that whole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you, they wore wristbands. Yeah. Um, what would, what would, what Jesus, would do, Jesus do? what would Jesus do? Yeah. So I decided I would do something. Um, what did Jesus mean? <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to take some expressions in the New Testament that we just sort of throw around with no understanding, and try to at least explain what it meant culturally back then, and then. You know what what might that mean for us today? So just sort of little kind of vignettes, but uh, i'm I'm hoping to write a book that appeals more to you know, as a broader audience and hopefully get into the Christian world. Um, yeah. So it's not, you know, because my books are definitely not for your average you know pew sitter who just goes on Sunday to get an inspirational message. And I mean, they're not written for that purpose, but I would like to try to write something you know, for, for Christians and everyone else, of course, that, that is a little, uh, that just helps make sense of some of the things he said. Right, right. No, I think that's a great idea. In fact,
0: you know, uh, let's see, where are we at in time? We've just got about four minutes. I want to uh, tell you a study I've been doing, and I'm um, looking on, on writing some stuff on, is uh, discipleship. And what it meant to be a disciple in the first century and how I and this kind of like changed my whole view of things and this kind of would give you out there that are listening a little glimpse into what Dina's talking about with the temple and, and some of the things she's talking about doing in her next book. But just to give you a little glimpse, one of the things that was considered the highest honor of all was if a rabbi chose you. Um, most Mm -hmm. of the time, these rabbis that were really knowledgeable and, you know, really great teachers and everything, the students would seek them out and can I be your taladim? You know, can I, can I be your Mm -hmm. disciple? And, but if a rabbi picked you, what that meant was in that world, and this just like rocked me upside down, it meant that I see in you me and you can become just like me. And it was a higher honor for that, for a rabbi to pick them. And what does Yeshua, what does Jesus say to us? You know, uh, I chose you, you didn't choose me. And so Mm -hmm. when Peter stepped out of the boat, he saw Yeshua coming across the water. He would naturally assume, well, he said, "I, I can be like him. So I want to get out of there and do this because he's doing it. So I'm going to be like him. He's my rabbi. You know, so it kind of makes sense why I, he had that courage. You know, to at least begin. You know, to step out of the boat, and then, of course, everybody knows what happened from there. But, but anyway, just in and and I hope that clarifies something for some of the listeners out there. Just that little bit of information. Think how that changes you. You were chosen. You were chosen yeah. by God. He chose you. So, what does that mean? He has faith and confidence that you're going to be his. Teled- you're going to be a a. A disciple that could mirror him and reflect his image and be like him. And I, when and remember, I remember, it's an
1: honor shame culture.
0: Right. Highest,
1: this is the highest, you know, in an honor shame culture, this is huge that you would be called. Right. Right. And yes, so yeah, sure.
0: anyway, that kind of rocked my world when I was studying this. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm going to study more about, you know, being a taladim in the first century and what it meant. And, you know, because it's just those little tidbits that can change your total view. It it doesn't change the dynamics of what you believe. It just right. changes the excitement and how deeply you believe. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you think about Yeshua, you know, calling his his Talmudim, his disciples, and saying, follow me. I mean, right. we just go, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's. Walking. I'm just going to, I mean, there's a practical sense to it. But really, for that world, he's basically calling them to join his royal retin- retinue as right. a king.
2: Right. You know? right. so
1: that's a whole different concept. It is. Oh, we will yeah. be back
0: after this.